Hey guys, it's Valerie. I'm here with some severe spring allergies. If you can't hear it in my voice already. On the episode, it's not so bad. So on this episode, we're back with some life updates and some sustainability and social responsibility rants. Really talking about some of the big problems I see out there in the sustainability industry and working in that world. Talking about the deep complexities and interlinkages of sustainability and the social challenges. And we really need to push companies to do more. Marin and I also move on to talk about how we're both completely fed up with LinkedIn posers and ideapreneurs. If you don't know what we're talking about there and you're curious, listen in. Lastly, as a warning to our male listeners, we go straight into the dilemmas of a single woman in her 30s. And Marin challenges the existing social construct of what it means to be a woman in their 30s, what's expected of us. And honestly, to our male listeners, if you're listening to us, we know you care. You care about people, you care about the planet. So maybe you're curious about the women around you. What kind of expectations are they being held up to? Can we talk about that? Or are there expectations about you that we don't know about? Do send us your thoughts. Anyways, let's hop right in. Hi everyone, my name is Valerie. And I'm Marin. And welcome to The Modern Idealist, a podcast for career-driven professionals looking to make an impact. Today's episode, I will be taking the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. Marin, your co-host. <laughs> now Find in... something to hold people. <laughs> so, you know, when I'm driving, uh, you may get run off the road. You may run off the road with me. This is just, <laughs> this is somewhere that we don't know where it's going to go. But hold tight. We're Be... living dangerously. <laughs> yes. And I know how much you love to live dangerously, Valerie. Only with you. Only with me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so today's episode is going to be a bit of a life update. We're going to be sharing some reflections, some general news, key themes, things we've been thinking about, and we're going to get on our soapbox a bit, I think. Mm. Are you okay to do that? We just have a bit of a rant. It's been a while. Let's go. It is. It's been a while. We what need do you have to get one-on-one. off your chest? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. I have a few things to get off my chest. So this is really dangerous this now. It's <laughs> going to be dangerous. We're going to do it and we're going to love it. Okay. And I think for our male feminist listeners, Mm -hmm. this is going to be a window of insight into some of the dilemmas that maybe women uh, are faced with at the moment. So don't, don't leave us. You might be feeling or reflecting on these things in your own way as well. Exactly. Exactly. mm. So we are doing life updates and we're doing all the life updates with this like MI angle. Like you said, it's all about the Dilemmas, dilemmas, uh, trade-offs, paradoxes, yeah. all the things you know yeah, and love. Exactly. So I'm just going to start with you, V. Do you mind if I call you V? I've never actually had that conversation. I always use V as you your do. nickname. Um, I feel like V versus Val. I think I do prefer. Well, I don't know because it's hard to say that. I've got so many, so many people who call me Val that it would be weird to n- not like that. But I'm totally cool with V. I don't get that a lot. Mm. But it's just like. You Aussies, you can't finish anything. It's like, everything it's we do is shortened. Everything. Or if it's really short, then we lengthen it out. Like if someone's name's Al, we will say Aloysius. Just because. I don't know why. <laughs> this is who I, I am. Deal with you. It's how I was oh raised. Oh my goodness. So, Back yes. to the V thing. I'm totally cool with it. Back to the V thing. Okay, so V, tell me what's been, what's been keeping you up at night recently? Let's see. So we've had two episodes uh, focused on uh, DEI. We want to take that angle more. And that's because we've always meant to be more inclusive in what we mean by sustainability. And um, if we go back to the roots of the, the um, when the term was coined in terms of the movement of sustainability, it does mean more than just the environment. And uh, living in the West, living in Northern Europe, it does feel like, um, it's been reduced to climate, mm, not even just environment, but even climate and reduced to emissions. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it, it makes sense because they had, you know, the mass majority had to start somewhere cool with that. But I think as we started to nail down, uh, 
the work and hone in on it, we've lost sight of how it encapsulates all these other big terms and that they're actually interlinked. The troubles are interlinked. The, st- the struggles are interlinked. The complexities of it. So we've had two more episodes on. Actually, we've had some in the past as well. You know, I think like the, the first International Women's Day edition that we had was about how progress is, isn't the same for all women. Mm-hmm. And so I think we were trying to give a peek into uh, that view of justice and uh, having diversity brought back into the podcast. I've, I'm very excited and I would really like to slowly bridge these worlds together more for our listeners and help them understand how they are interlinked because all these struggles are and I see a lot of problems, just like a lot of problems uh, working in the sustainability industry. Um, I mean, for one, there's a lack of diversity in the sustainability industry. And, you know, for two, you can even discuss how sustainability has been lost and reduced to just climate. Mm. So it shouldn't really, um, it shouldn't really be so exclusive to emissions only, Mm -hmm. for example, especially in a place where sustainability is about, even in that, even in that sense, even if it were about emissions and, and about planetary boundaries, the planet is about every single human being and therefore every single human being should somehow be represented in some ways. Absolutely. Do you think that part of the reason why in the West we have this very insular view of sustainability is because it's people are almost like one step removed from really the issues of climate change. So we know it theoretically, but in a lot of places we either A, can't see it or don't see it for what it is, and then B, because our economies uh, and our, you know, keep propping up a narrative, say in Australia, we, we know climate change is a thing. It's happening all around us in, for example, environment, but because on the more sustainability impact of, okay, what's happening with how we're, you know, utilising natural resources or, you know, people are um, removed from what's going on with Indigenous populations around the world, with um, those without the resources uh, and or the government support to be able to not just provide compensation or support or rebuild, but also you know, have a, have a, I guess, a narrative to, to keep living and consuming and doing things the way they've done. Yeah. So you're saying let's test out like why or, or. Yeah. Why is sustainability? So... I'm just thinking the link of why is sustainability focused primarily on climate change and even with climate change are one step removed, but sustainability as a whole, because most people in the West have a certain lifestyle that's, you know, maybe affords them the pillow or the cushion to not have to see how deeply it's being affected uh, in other areas due to extraction economies, due to, um, you know, no, not the same robustness of government or resources, yeah. etc. I, th- I wish... We had prepared better for this one. <laughs> Such a big question. This is a big topic. It is. <sighs> Maybe I'm just like, you know, I'm taking us off the... <laughs> I'm already that... <laughs> driving us into a ditch here. Uh, and it's not that um, we probably don't have thoughts about it, uh, or at least not that I don't have thoughts about it, but I just make want to make sure that it's thorough because there's so many angles to it. Um, you know, another one is that people in the West feel removed. Sure, people in the West are generally a lot more privileged and that would generally be also the global North over mm-hmm. the global South. Um, but sometimes I think we need to be careful about overgeneralization yeah. because there are environmental and people issues happening like in our backyards Absolutely. too. Um, I, I mean, in Norway, there was a big case on the wind turbines that were built that conflicts with the habitats of the reindeer farmers and that became a big case and I think they were like six billion Norwegian kroner already invested and now they're looking to pull that back and the case turned into a a renewable energies versus people indigenous people in their habitats because it was uh reindeer I think I said reindeer farmers but I Mm, I, I didn't I wasn't following the case as close as I should have it it was the uh, Sami uh, folks so Mm. it's 
it was turned into a case where it's, you know, renewable energies um, for the future versus uh, honoring people of the past. And in a very small group is kind of the how the case became against each other. And so there's one that's happening in our backyard. You know, you've got Flint, Michigan with the, the water, uh, with a lead in the water years ago. And that was not well um monitored and didn't safeguard the communities so i think the environment is actually uh not even well protected in our own communities Mm -hmm. uh it's literally just like in certain redlined areas you know maybe that's an american term Mm -hmm. that's no but in certain communities so that's Mm -hmm. one and then the being far away is is partly true as well i think um you know for a lot of the people that does well like my friends, our friends, like mm-hmm. it does feel kind of like sustainability is a cause for uh, for many years down the road. Um, we're trying to ensure a future for this beautiful future with for our grandchildren. Um, and it does seem quite annoying that we're trying to connect to people's ethos by bringing about their future grandchildren mm-hmm. when in reality we have islands today that are going under we have um extreme natural disasters and people's livelihoods are being ruined because of the um, lack of um, stability for them to uh, yield crops and things mm-hmm. like that so i i do think and then their homes being washed away so sure there is like that far away element as well so if you could redefine sustainability as a profession uh, and as a pursuit how would you do that again (laughs) (laughs) this is not an interview (laughs) i'm just curious because i think if you were just like you know sustainability is about the broader conversation beyond climate which considers people um the the you know, the economic prosperity of people well, ha- and I how mean, they the consider the UN planet, SDG goals da, 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 da. has 17 goals, right? Mm. So that's a place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's uh, they had to outline it. They're not mutually exclusive either. Mm. Some goals, they overlap. And I think that's a great place. I mean, they're literally called the sustainability goals. So mm. that's a great place to, to go back to. You know, just in my, especially with my experience in the startup world in sustainability, I see how much people are jaded by the SDGs and just like, yeah, they're just these kind of token things that we're really not doing enough and we don't have enough robust measures or metrics. So we have them there and people wear the little badges and they talk about how important they are. But still even now, and maybe it's different for you because you're really in this space, but even for me as a consultant coming into different companies, that's not at the forefront of people's mind. There are no metrics that are being discussed around boardrooms in a way of like, this is how we need to get better or how does this connect in with doing better for people and the planet? Well, you know, when you were just saying now, I think there's one thing I would like to clear up. There are impactful and sustainability businesses or what, what impactful businesses or sustainable businesses. Mm. Um sustainability in the terms that we're saying now and then there are responsible businesses and I do think that they're different so say responsible businesses are um, if I had to define it it might look like businesses that are under uh, the do no harm Mm -hmm. methodology so these are just businesses who make sure that they do no harm and maybe give back in the moral way or that you know in ways that they owe to their stakeholders whereas i think businesses that are actively out to support one of the sdgs they need to um define their theory of change they need to map out their um theory of change and they need to have indicators on each of these um, and there are processes and um consultants that you can engage with to help you with these metrics right but i do think there are a lot of response just businesses today who are really scared of being cancelled or they are just doing it because investors are sort of quote-unquote asking for it whatever that means like sometimes you have that at voting uh, general assemblies but not always and you just know that because somebody's asking for it you slap them onto your quarterly or annual statements but those are not put on there to say we are actively doing good for these things we're just 
making sure that we are being responsible. And that's two different things. Mm, it's not like um, it's not alive and active in the company. And that's what I think both on a sustainability and social impact in general, when we talk about sustainable business, when we talk about impactful, when we talk about uh, diversity measures as well. They're all things that, you know, you've got a head of sustain, sustainability and we already know what <laughs> after, you know, our last, uh, you know, several uh, episodes, how uh, sustainability officers are perceived. Then we have the diversity and inclusion officer and that person usually is very under-resourced. Then we have maybe the corporate social responsibility and that's kind of like a a band-aid approach again instead of this most moving. of these are quite so and they're all things yeah. that should be embedded in the company in a really meaningful way so like how do you resource these departments how can you intertwine them as you're saying as opposed to keep them as silos because even you know something when I learned in my um, social impact course in my MBA about creating shared value it kind of it blew my mind because I was like we can move from this CSR, corporate social responsibility, to creating shared value by actually having organisations take a proactive approach with maybe grassroots organisations, with governments, etc., to be able to do things, whether it's, okay, we're extracting resources here, but this is how we consider the impact on the land, or this is how we consider the welfare of the people that are engaging with us or um, that are working for so on and so forth it's just having a more holistic approach of the people we're working with the people we're serving yeah. and the communities yeah. that we're impacting yeah. and so all of these things are still you know tidbits of not fully resourced not fully taken seriously there's no seat at the table where one person is saying this is how we lead the charge here and these are the goals for the company and we have to embed it everywhere and it's part of the values of the company. Yeah, that go, I feel like that kind of goes back to um, the responsible versus impactful. I actually reflect on the fact that most businesses don't need to be an impactful business. Um, and rather, they just need to be responsible. We'd be asking too much of the businesses to all be impactful, I think. Um, that, that's another thing. I'm, I'm really quite done with this triple and bo- uh, double and triple bottom line business. Because mm. you got um, kind of burnt by that when you were doing the startup. Yeah, one you got, I got burnt uh, by it, and it was, I saw how difficult it was to actually carry through. Mm. And two, um, I had some years to reflect, and now working with clients, I think even even if you're a business that looks to apply your business to for good, if if it's um, if it's for good, then how is it for good? Like one thing is how like one thing is the value proposition that you deliver is quote unquote for good and that's great that sounds like it could be a double or triple bottom line business but then a lot of those businesses um don't have the the ability to mind their activities and their activities cost the world it cost resources it costs human resources it costs you know it's it's uh, extractive of materials raw materials and it's exploitative of people still you can you can do all of these things and still be an impactful business on the other side as in you can exploit your employees but you can say you've defined a certain market to serve and that market is impactful you can totally have that that's true um and so i think then then you're an impactful business but not a responsible business Mm. so you can also be that Mm -hmm. So I, feel oh, like I really like that. Being that. a responsible business would be for me the most important thing to mm-hmm. do. Like mind yourself first. But I mean. But it doesn't. It's so complicated. It is complicated. Yeah. So, you know, like if you think about, for example, Nestle and all of the fire that they've been under for their value chain. Just, yeah. You know, not going into details, but whether it's uh, things like how they end child labor, how they do, you know, uh, have ethical, responsible business guidelines throughout the value chain it's yeah it's how you know we we sit here on the other side of I mean we know the workings of a business and why that's the case but as an everyday customer or just a a person who's not involved like how morbid and crazy and strange is it that we can be talking about okay well we're not going to end this really horrible way of doing business uh, until 10 years from now, for example, it's not saying that's because, their metric, but mm-hmm. this is, this is not uncommon. It's funny. Well, 
I actually don't know um, much about Nestle's business practice, so I, I don't know where they sit. I have heard just like in high level people saying that they are good, not good, similar to Unilever. Um, I've heard people saying like they are the industry challengers, but they're also um, not good enough. So I, I haven't done work in those value chains enough to know. But my guess is that big companies are mostly focusing on cleaning up their act which is to go through their supply chains and source responsibly um, for humans and for uh, materials and for emissions, things like that. It does seem like sometimes it's very easy to just, you know, have a great case about who you are serving and who you're helping. And you can be helping those people, right, mm -hmm. um, as, you, as a part of whatever value you're trying to deliver. And they use that as the story to tell. And I'm not saying that those are bad. This is a part of the trade-offs, perhaps, is mm -hmm. that in transition, I keep seeing that they, people have to pick one side or, or another in, in between. I also don't think that I'm satisfied with it. And I think this goes to your point and another thing that you were getting on your soapbox about earlier. It's what people actually do versus what they say they do. <laughs> and the ridiculousness sometimes of the disparity between those two things. Oh, I know. Wait, are you talking about the LinkedIn thing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, why don't we just go into that? Because yeah, let's this jump first topic, in. I can. I, it's, it's a big one, and I and I uh, for for our listeners out there, um, I don't know if you can tell in my voice, but there is a lot, and I would like to be thorough about it because there's not enough airtime to get deeper into the sustainability industry, and there are so many pros and cons about it. Um, basically, in short, it's like it, in my mind, it's it's necessary. It's not good enough, but it's still necessary and we should keep pushing. <laughs> yes. And I think in the next one as well, like let's really get thorough into some research here and go, right, this is, you know, these are the challenges here or these are some stats around this. That, yeah, maybe one so on, some... um, I hadn't actually thought to, you know, make the distinction so explicit, but um, I think I had done it in a different way on another episode where I talked about ESG versus sustainability. We can yeah, have another one where yeah. it's on mm -hmm. being a responsible business versus an impactful business. Oh, I really like that. Yeah, because then it's... Anyhow, so uh, about this LinkedIn thing, I think it's a lot more exciting. I can give our listeners a little update about how this happened. And I know you have thoughts to share <laughs> yes. as well. So basically, Mary and I came to each other today. We're just like, we have so much to catch people up on. We need to just, you know, talk about things on top of our mind. What is yours? And, you know, I, I think this has been on top of my mind for years now, especially when I started living out in San Francisco and meeting a lot of people there and working in the innovation space and then starting to see in, in that space, there's just a lot of hustlers. And mm -hmm. for better or worse, you know, for these people who can be like, a multitasker of everything on LinkedIn sometimes people are you know founders of like 20 things or like they have 40 positions and they're on x amount of board they've gotten a degree or a certificate which is likely a certificate from some kind of ivy league or some kind of equivalent of, of that in the world and likely it was you know six weeks to a few months course and they got a certificate and then they write you know I don't know, Harvard Extinction, Cambridge mm -hmm. Certificate, whatever. Yeah. and Right on that top little line under the name. And then it shows up like at the very top, right? And it shows up in a way that's very misleading. Like mm -hmm. I don't mind that people put all their certificates in there. I think that's very fair. But mm -hmm. I think being your, you know, four-year alma mater university. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I'm, I'm, I find it to be a struggle. And mm. I have these feelings where I feel like people need to be authentic, like mm -hmm. you said earlier. Yeah. But at the same time... That's true. We need think, to be open. I think there's something about the authenticity. I have a few thoughts on this. It just reminded me of this meme and I'll bring it up. And <laughs> it's a, just a, like a picture of a guy and it says reality and then versus LinkedIn. And the reality is like unemployed. And then it says on the LinkedIn, it's blockchain enthusiast, crypto cryptocurrency evangelist, influencer, inspirer, chief, chief visionary, serial uh, entrepreneur, meaning every business I started has failed, founder, a mission, philanthropist, 
another emission, empowering something, life coach, father, trendsetter, top 1% of LinkedIn profiles, brackets, <laughs> according to myself, speaker, TEDx, two times attendee, ICO advisor. <laughs> TEDx, two times a TEDx attendee, I love that. <laughs> uh, um, but I think what's really annoying about this is, like you said, it's a lack of authenticity. But on the other side, I see it because I'm like, you know, I feel like we all have multiple things that we're, we've done, we've achieved we're capable of we would like to do more of and so you're sitting with this whole okay because I can do a lot or I'm a multi-potentialite or I've you know I know for even for myself like I have such a diverse background over the last 15 years so it's kind of like how do I define myself in this tiny little line on you know my LinkedIn profile exactly and so I find it really difficult but I really get annoyed with the lack of authenticity on the same side when I kind of you know, when we scoff at these short course things, the other side of me is like, well, I also see that academia is not meeting the needs of the jobs of even today, let alone tomorrow. And so we're spending four years doing degrees that, you know, once you get in, you're like a baby lamb trying to walk through and navigate the Mm. space. Whereas there are some courses now, like say um, these developer boot camps, et cetera, where you can kind of hit the ground running Of course, you need support getting into the role, but you're more equipped for the workforce. Yeah. There's the angle of how these short courses can quickly benefit exactly what you need. And we we see that in the generations that are coming up now. They can pretty much learn how to code online. They can learn how to design online. You can, I mean, to be honest, Khan Academy, shout out to Khan Academy. They got me through most of my college, you know. Mm, I may mm -hmm. not have like put myself through differential equations if it weren't for the class I had to pass. I wouldn't have just gone on to YouTube and learned how to do differential Mm -hmm. equations. But you can learn everything. And I find that very fascinating. There's a great future to have. We can learn what we wish to learn. And maybe this is the difference we have as well. Like having gone through university and in, in the, I, I recognize and reflect how it put me through certain courses that I was really a person in the making. And, it you know, you're 18 to 22. Uh, I graduated when I was 23. And so you... I just feel like I had to take these certain courses where I was put through it because I had to as a part of getting the degree. Mm-hmm. And you get a like a catalog list, which was quite interesting. And I think it taught me a lot about like accepting the parts where you need to to get what you want done, but also just accepting something that you're not sure how it will be an asset to you now. And I do think a lot of these like say I have an engineering degree so that I ended up changing to math, but I had a lot of these like liberal arts classes I really didn't care about, mm-hmm. but I had to take it. Um, didn't care <laughs> no right but imagine like if I really didn't care about liberal arts and like didn't care about history and I mm. just went and learned exactly how to do what I needed to to mm-hmm. like work yeah I also feel like that wouldn't make you like this rounded person that you could be mm. which I know like for example you and the other side you you are that person anyways without having gone through the exact conventional way mm-hmm. through school and then you kind of did it another you kind of flipped the orders in some mm-hmm. ways you know for me it was interesting now maybe I'm, I'm getting old and i'm like complaining at how young people these days don't have to go through things that they don't want to you know what i mean because like you're, in my perspective i'm like oh looking back like i went through something that i didn't want to mm. but then turns out like you see how it makes you as this like fuller person although i could have still had a lot of changes mm. i would agree with like it was not it was far from perfect yeah but, but it's say. almost like you want to um see that your hard work has paid off and that you um you know you did so much to get through all that and you weren't handed anything on a silver platter either and so you worked your guts out to get where you are and then just for it to be like ta-da six six month course slide on <laughs> through and come and compete for your job and it's yeah, almost well, like well kind ugh. of there there is that as reality as well like there's an actual like say you know if i ended up learning how to code now somebody can live like a 13 year old mm. can really just go and learn how to code yeah. better than i could but i do really mean like the, uh, the art of learning and the, part the importance of, of the, it. The importance of like learning something that you mm. didn't think was valuable to mm-hmm. you. It it didn't monetize anything for me right away. Yeah. But it makes you a whole, like, you know, as this well-rounded person. Mm-hmm. And then that value comes through later. Yeah. I remember a, an ex-boyfriend of mine, he said, 
you know, when I was getting into the MBA, I had done a master's without a bachelor degree. But he said one of the great things is how it teaches you how to think mm. and how to learn. Yeah, and, and how to work I, with people. Yeah, and I loved that because having come in from a different angle and a very like hands-on approach and very everything I was learning was more like relevant to the business and what was important for businesses and how how do you be strategic, like how do you think strategically and, you know, action-oriented for business. And so, but at the same time, just learning it from a very academic perspective. I loved that journey, but I had, I really enjoyed that I came in it from, from a different angle, but I loved that yeah. whole art of learning in a new way. Mm. Um, and that shaped me a lot. But he also said, he believed that everyone should be doing at least some form of an, an arts degree. And I think that that's really Me. relevant. If you have especially people who are highly technical and they're just focused on the technical without having, like you were saying, that understanding of psychology or understanding, understanding the richness of, of our lives, like out exactly, in the world. Exactly. Right? Because we don't get that when we're at school, really. No. You know, we've got some art classes and we get to like make a monster out of clay or you Yeah, know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put that monster on. Is that on your LinkedIn? Because you better put that monster on your LinkedIn. <laughs> like <laughs> I should put on Monster creating pottery award. expert. <laughs> yeah, I did like photography at school and I was in like a dark room, so maybe I can be like a seasoned photographer. Should we do that like one week? <laughs> we should just like mess with everybody mm-hmm. and just like on our LinkedIn put something like ridiculously something like totally ridiculous, pompous, and like just ridiculously yeah. out there and just see what people say, like see what people do. They'll be like, oh, hey, I didn't realize that you were a genius, uh, top 2% of the world in. I don't know, something really obscure. Okay, maybe like for one whole week, we should let each other take over each oh, other's LinkedIn. Yes. That's really dangerous. We need to like have a back, <laughs> like a backup plan or some kind of Let's catch just see. <laughs> We're just going to put like... You know how people like, you know, when you used to flip through a magazine and then you'd get the people's faces and you get the pen and you'd scribble out their <laughs> eyes and like add braces or like put dots on you know whatever it was you just like mess up their hair <laughs> I wonder if I can do the digital version of that to your, to your LinkedIn profile <laughs> don't worry I'm just um, I have the e- I have an equal weapon here you know that right you do <laughs> this thing goes both ways I'm it gonna does. put like 20 times notebook scribbler <laughs> notes that never make it <laughs> like 55 times idea person like, I'm idea founder idea-preneur on idea-preneur. Oh, idea-preneur. No. you're definitely oh, you're gonna be that's you're gonna, the biggest trigger top top 10 no you're you're gonna get go under the 40 under 40 idea <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna put in what's their one in this like LinkedIn serial entrepreneur wait uh, empowering something life coach one percent LinkedIn profile chief visionary that's what you're gonna be chief, chief visionary <laughs> talker oh that sounds real sophisticated like a podcast queen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. Well, let's see how that experiment goes. (laughs) But yes, I think like circling back to this, do you know what? I'm going to just say it. I blame America. I blame the US. Okay. Not all of America. Okay. Back yourself up. (laughs) For the, like for being increasingly, um, I, I just feel like there's something about you know, every yeah, like this self-inflation mm. of like I am the most amazing person at this. I am the best here. Yeah. Like I am the profound expert of da da da. And because U.S. culture is so profound in the rest of the world, whether mm. it's through movies and you know everything else mm. and tech companies and how they're influenced and in shaping society, yes. it's your <laughs> fault. <laughs> I'm kind of Samaran's pointing at me, and I'm like pointing at something else here. <laughs> Don't try. But I, I do have somebody else to point to. Okay, I'm gonna point to the founding quote unquote fathers. Oh yes, um, I, I would like to hear this because I don't know. I can only use deductive reasoning, but I don't know that much about the founding fathers in terms of these 
egocentric. Okay, I didn't do that great in U.S. history, so I, <laughs> I don't think this is an episode but for that. Enlighten us, but please. I am going towards the whole like I'm pointing it back at British culture, <laughs> and I'm That's pointing it back to to that. I mean, I I think oh. God, the British I are so lot, modest, I love a lot though. of British people. <laughs> I feel like they're so they're modest. They're like, oh, um, no, I'm, I'm just ordinary, like little me. And they're like a really I, big deal. You know, I, I think deep down, like, it, it's that inflation of being the best in the world. Yes. Um, okay, of being better dom- than somebody dominance. else actually comes deeply from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see it now that I that uh, have so many British friends. I work so closely with British people. Um, and I've, and after moving to this side of the pond, like, I mean, even just having that proximity and having picked up a lot of British English myself, I, I know it exists. I know mm. there's, there's a strong working class there as well. So I'm not saying that everyone, if anything, they're stuck in their own little class and that's a problem, right? Mm. Um, and, and they're struggling. So, but I think this class thing is much more um, inherent in, from the British culture. And I think the American version of it is just the the rebellious child's version of it, which is like loud and obnoxious. But and, and you know now we have the like America, like kind of sound mm. and power and that kind of um, a boost. I think and to self inflate, I think is just it's a reactionary thing, like off the back of trying to differentiate yourself from your parent. You I know, what you having mean. that revolution. It's like this is. Us and we're kind of like explicitly horrible. Yeah. If you horrible is not the right right term, but you know, for the sake of just because I am uh, two glasses of (laughs) (laughs) non-alcoholic. It's really gone to your head, Valerie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! It is the day before Easter holiday. It is. It is the day before. Um, So I think it comes from the British culture, but I think the British culture is a much more subtle. Mm. And you're never explicit about that kind of class and that kind of I'm trying to say in other words besides power because I feel like I just need a day where I don't use that word. You know, I could <laughs> yeah. use that in my life. Yeah, um, it's a little bit too spiraling downwards mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. But it is power after all, and I feel that and, and that judgment and the prejudice of people. I do think um, it's, it's there. Just it's more just suck. more covert. Yeah. Whereas I think in the U.S. it's more overt. It's like the yeah. yeah. The loud, obnoxious cousin, and I don't mean that every U.S. Um, no, and likewise for British, obnoxious, but it's just an interesting um, reflection that a lot of what we see in this braggy culture, and it, it, I think it's always good to, and I think for especially women and minoritized groups, we're always downplaying ourselves, and we have this imposter syndrome, which you know that's been a big reflection of mine for a while now this social construct of undermining oneself and so I think we have something to learn from it for sure but that authenticity comes back to that the authenticity like don't go in there being a bullshit artist and being like I'm all these great things or you know I think good to big up yourself uh, but it's also great when other people see your successes and can say hey do you know Valerie she's amazing and this is how I can testify isn't it as simple as don't lie? Just well, don't that, lie. that too. You definitely shouldn't lie. I mean, that's dreadful. Uh, I mean, that's and, really insincere. Yeah, exactly. So there are the factual ones, you know, where maybe that's where people see a lot of the Yeah, I'm lies thinking was... about like factual, but you're right. There are a lot of total bullshit artists where there's no truth. Yeah. And I mean, particularly in the innovation world, there's even more because mm. there's, that's where all the like enthusiasts, tech enthusiasts, yeah. so and so, and, and all the worlds are kind of merging together. Like mm-hmm. I work really close with tech, but from a business angle mm-hmm. and, you know, and all things from strategy to um, designing it, but I'm not creating it. So I even struggled then what I call myself, you know, and, and I... Please a don't let me write enthusiasts. If I write enthusiasts <laughs> Innovator on my... Enthusiast. <laughs> if anyone catches me writing enthusiasts on LinkedIn, just like yeah. slap my hand. Oh, uh, no. Is there something else that you had on your mind, Marin? Since we warned the male feminists, we may as well talk about being a single 30-something woman. <laughs> I think there's something just about feeling quite liberated at the moment where I'm like, oh, I don't need to meet someone. I don't need to... I don't have this pressure on myself. Uh, and then I've also been reflecting because I've been, been talking to friends who 
have said, oh, well, what if my future self regrets not doing these things now? Capitalistic environment that we're a part of. We've been conditioned that we always have to think future, future, future. We think five steps ahead. We think into the years to come. And I know I think like that as well. I'm like, okay, well, what, what am I going to be doing in the next three years or how do I set myself up? And I think there are important things in the environment, capitalist envi- capitalistic environment that we're a part of. But at the same time, I'm like, say, for example, I uh, meet someone and I really want to have children. There are so many ways to have children if that's a path that I want to go down mm-hmm. and what's to say that I should go down that path anyway. And if it's not something that I have a sense of urgency or I feel a sense of I need this for fulfillment or I would like to have this, whatever reason, you can have any reason and anyone's entitled to that. Why should I be thinking about the importance of it now when it's like, okay, maybe, maybe when I'm 40, it's like, yep, five years from now, I can cross that bridge. And that's something you said, something like that, which I want you to mention if you're, if you want to, because that unlocks something in my head of being like, okay, it's something I don't have to worry about. And as we've talked about before, I can freeze my eggs if I feel like that's the right thing for me. But if I don't want to, and I don't have any problems with it, and I'm actually genuinely happy being single and enjoying this time of my life and really treasuring the platonic loves that I have, mm. you know, you, your tea, who I get to work with all the time. I think that's just incredible. Yeah. I get to be your second, your first wife. <laughs> your I have another wife, you know that, right? You're my only wife. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, exactly. So uh, I think that's really special and yeah. I love being in this place where I feel like that. I almost feel, should I be ashamed of it? Should I be really proud about it? Because I do feel just happy and proud and alive. Yeah. So what is your, what is your latest thinking about freezing eggs? About freezing eggs? I'm someone who, at least I know in my career and with my friendships, I think I have learned to be more and more intuitive. Sometimes you get it wrong. But then you go back on course and you know where you're heading and you get this feeling sometimes and you cultivate things around you to make what you're looking for materialize. Hmm. I haven't had any of that feeling with the, the, the egg freezing or, you know, any kind of family planning. So I'm just going to go with that and be okay with it and go, you know what, if 40-year-old Marin five years down the track wants to have a kid and doesn't have the ability but wish that they would have had that option, I will look back at 35-year-old Marin who was living her best life yeah. and building a company and, you know, a, a podcast together with people that I love and having a fulfilling life and go, that just was not an important thing on my radar and uh, I'm so glad that I did what was super important to me back then. People will have regrets. Like I think out in the oh, world sure. nine and a half of ten if not ten out of ten you know in their 40s are regretting something in their 30s 50s something in their 40s and we can't look back with the lenses that we have as older people and put them on our younger selves we just can't yeah so it's it's a futile thing to be like what would you have done if you had known this it's like well i didn't yeah. and now i do so i'm gonna live by that now yeah instead of this whole being you know you can be remorseful because you did shit things or you did things that were you know harmful to yourself or others but in terms of just this you know trying to anticipate the future we just you know we do the best with the information that we have now yeah and the the things that are important to us and the values that we have and there are so many values that I get to live out that you know I'm doing now and if I was freezing eggs or doing all these other things I I wouldn't be able to give my best every day in my situations it's very liberating that you can just decide because I still feel like I'm also kind of on the fence about everything you know so I think the fact that um, you don't have to question at all time during the day you know whether to have or to not or if you're expiring soon Mm -hmm. all these questions like why let that why let that get to us right? yeah that's it's such a and that's a thing if it's not a thing on your radar like there are so many other things that I think about like how fucked up the beauty 
industries and how we're yeah. products to that. Yeah. And sometimes just the, that self-deprecation of yeah. just feeling Beauty, like a victim um, to it. The like, standards of having a partner yeah. like, and all of these, you know, so and it's like people who have partners, I'm sure there are things that they wish they could do without partners. Yeah. Um, and people who have kids will wish things that they can be a part of a life that, you know, doesn't involve the kid anymore. But now that we have the partners, now that you have the kids, like sometimes you just can't, it's not as easy to walk away from that. Mm-hmm. That's very true. And I think just the the whole idea of kids or coupledom and how that is the status quo of society, like going like, oh, so you're single, what are you going to do about it? It's like, well, I've been in a lot of relationships and I'm really enjoying this time not being in one. And when the, like, I'm really happy that, as a mid 30 year old, I don't think that I necessarily would have made even, you know, the the best decision about how to settle down and with whom. And if I would, maybe not because they weren't great people, but because my aspirations in life or the not just aspirations from a career perspective, but the things I want to do in life, like I don't want to just live in one place. I want to yeah. live in different parts of the world. And that is an entirely feasible uh, option for me, uh, for many of us. I mean, it's not something that all people want, but you don't get these desires and and dreams or whatever, those things that you want to do planted inside of you just to taunt you and make you feel like, Haha, you can't get it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think maybe I would have compromised on those things had I 100%. met someone earlier yeah. uh, who didn't have those values. Um, and I can tell you about those compromises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and obviously you do them when it's the person that you love and you're um, you know, because you get more out of it than you lose, but being able to be, have unraveled so much, uh, from just yeah. an emotional, um, you know, where I'm at in life, all, all of the things of unlearning a lot. I feel like had I not have been through all this unlearning, I might've had someone that didn't match those same values. Yeah. And now if I meet someone, I can have that. But that's exactly what it, it, it comes down to when you can meet somebody at a later stage in life if you want to, right? Mm. And if not, like, I think now's the time to literally do whatever you want. Yeah. Oh. And I think it's nice to find workarounds when, you know, for example, my friend and I bought an apartment and that's so cool. Yeah. It's just like, well, why not if you you shouldn't have to, especially, you know, as a single person, especially as a woman who you know, they're, they're, you know, the, the baseline gender pay gap is 20%. And we know that that increases. (laughs) What I think is important is that we say, okay, well, are there other ways and means about doing things? And obviously it's a privilege to be able to have a friend that I trust and can own an asset with. That's a huge thing. Yeah. But I mean, if society isn't set up for certain things for us, then what do we do to work around it I'm always like okay I have to go the unconventional route for everything and I always feel like I have to pave my own way and sometimes I'm like why am I like this <laughs> but at the same time it's it's me living my truth yeah if you will it sounds cheesy I'm living my truth but it is it's just me having an honest life for but myself it, of what I what's... think you know society has set up one ideal person's life and people weave in and out of that idealness like sometimes I do things that I'm like oh I'm I'm, I actually genuinely want this or maybe I think that I'm just you know just bought into some idea perhaps but I would want to do something and it's exactly what the ideal person in the society would do uh and then there are other things I want to do where I'm like oh why is it so difficult and why isn't it possible for people to see what I see and you know even like four-day work week like like these kind of con these kinds of concepts like creeped in on us, right? And it but it was actually somebody working really hard behind the scenes, pushing for a Ooh, new yeah. standard to normalize different things. So I do think um it just feels really hard for you because you're doing a lot of unconventional things really. And I think you are too. I mean, you've been with Andreas for over a decade. And there are people in your situation, I know listeners of ours who have been in long term relationships and they're sort of having that oh, do we wait? Do we just see if it happens? Do we just let it like figure itself out? And I think there are a lot of people that, you know, I've I've met who are just like, all right, we're married now. This is the next step. And you've chosen not to do that. And I think that's unconventional as well, because I think for 
people in relationships is even more expected. Like there's more expectation on you than me. There is something, maybe that's for another episode at this point, but there's something to when, you know, when your partner and you've been together for like, I met my partner now like 20, 30, I was, uh, I was 20, so 13 years ago. Mm. And, you know, he and I have changed a lot. And I think that support and that consistency and stability of that person throughout your life is you know, really it's amazing. Yeah. I've only seen that, you know, from a few different friends and that's what my parents have, you know, and I mm. just think for myself, I'm like, oh my gosh, is that possible? And then I see you guys and like, I just love that that is a, uh, one of many amazing, you know, narratives of how you can be in a relationship. And yeah, we, we need one on relationships yeah. because, you know, I think there's a lot to, to dive into. Um, one that, yes. one that I'm really interested in is like, um, who's giving and who's getting more and more. Mm. So I always do this like arbitrary, like percentage thing and it doesn't make any sense, but it's like, no, I, didn't, I know like, that you should. Yeah, like, <laughs> like we're in like a 40, 60 relationship. Yeah. So I, I, I do think a lot about that, but at the same time, the more that you're an individual in the relationship, the harder it is for you to be a unity. Mm. I think mm-hmm. like, mm. So if, if one person gets 90% their way um, and the other person pretty much goes with person A, then it's much easier to be united on the front of anything. Yeah. And I think those relationships are really strong um, and it's really nice. Um, or maybe you just meet someone very similar to you so that you can be closer to 50-50. Um, That's but interesting for, because I'm yeah. like, I think, okay, if you had someone who got, got more of their way, isn't that what ends up leading to marriage breakdowns or relationship breakdowns. I mean, breakdowns. you can definitely have that. Yeah. It but takes someone to kind of wake up from that, though. Mm, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we should save that for another time. I was going to say, just to wrap up something that we've talked about a lot, and I don't know if how much we've talked about it. We did early on in the podcast. You know, we've just gone into the whole kids, family planning, et cetera, and talking about that. And we haven't said much about the economic impact or the other sides of it. So I think in the relationships episode that we're going to have, Mm -hmm. which I think is a great idea, we should discuss it in that one. But I think for now, uh, we should wrap up. Yeah. That sounds good. thank our listeners for holding on with the twists and the turns as I've uh, driven this car. I'm not even sure where, but (laughs) I'm happy with where it uh, ended up. How about you? Yeah, um, let's see as I go into edit mode. (laughs) But I do thank our listeners for hanging in there. I do think some people are very invested and feel very close to us. They care about these issues that we care about on a big level, but also on a personal level. There's a lot of people who have given us really lovely feedback about how this content helps them uh, how they relate to it so yeah if you relate to any of our content today please follow us on our instagram it's modern idealist podcast by the time this episode comes out we'll have one of the posts where it's for this episode thanks for listening if you've enjoyed our podcast so far do leave us a rating or review wherever you get your podcast and find us on instagram or linkedin at modern idealist podcast